from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Welcome. This is the third episode of our special podcast from our annual CR Digital Conference, where we bring together 50 economists from, from Europe and the US to discuss the most important issue of the day. And this year is about saving the EU. Uh, my name is Christian Odal, and I'm joined in this episode by Catherine Mann, OECD's Chief Economist, and Barry Eichengreen from Berkeley. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. In this episode, I want to talk about the two big economic projects of the EU, the single market and the euro, both in terms of the, the, the recent political backlash against deeper economic integration. And let us start with a with a single market. The single market is a sort of super globalization in a way on a regional level, deep economic integration and, and market opening, but combined with a sort of supranational institutions, democracy, even central funds to compensate weaker regions. It seems an ideal form of globalization. Is, is that right? Would you agree with that? Or do, do you think in, the, in, in Europe we have gone already a bit too far? Well, in my view, what, what you've done is you've come up with some funds to uh, try to help various countries and regions to achieve a higher rate of growth and a higher level of per capita income. That's the convergence, that's the structural funds focusing on convergence, particularly of the periphery. But what really has not been done at all is to complete the single market in some key areas of services, banking and capital markets union being one, broad-based services, uh, professional, telecoms, transport, energy. These have not been harmonized. The regulations have not been harmonized. And then, of course, in the digital single market, that's uh, really in its infancy. If anything, it's going backwards. So those that dimensionality of the single market, as I say, is if anything is going backwards. And what that means to me is, is that the success of the project is at risk. If you can't make those kinds of movements towards greater integration, greater harmonization in services, then you won't get greater integration of countries, and that makes all the expenditures on structural change and convergence, it makes those funds being less well invested. Barry, you've studied economic integration in Europe for, for a long time. Do, do you agree? Where, where do you see the, the, the EU single market falling short? Your question, Christian, was whether the European Union is the ideal form of globalization, whether it's Europe's response to the challenges of globalization. And I would say yes in principle, but maybe not in practice. There's a conventional wisdom now that globalization needs to be complemented by a safety net and by government programs that facilitate adjustment and help people who would otherwise be left behind. Programs that compensate the unemployed, that provide training for people who need to move to new activities and sectors, and Europe is in an unusually good position to actually do that. We talk about such things in the United States, but we don't do them because we have a tradition of limited government and a deep suspicion of government intervention in the economy. You and Europe have a social market economy or many social market economies. So I think that fact that you have social partners that can work with government on the design of adjustment programs puts Europe in a, in a good position to capitalize on globalization. But in practice, the sad fact is that austerity and other problems have worked to gut the safety net and limit the support that governments in countries like Greece can provide for the people adversely affected by events. So when I say events, I should be clear. 
Greece is not suffering entirely from globalization, although they've been hit by competition from middle-income countries. They're suffering from a variety of other things as well. But for globalization to be sustainable in Europe more generally, the continent needs to think about how to update the social market economy. Is there a trade-off between protection between the social market economy and in a, in a real worldwide globalization to remain competitive in, in worldwide competition. Do you think, Catherine, is there, is there a trade-off or is that, is that not true? Can we just protect the European social model while at the same time remain competitive at the international level? The answer is yes. You can both improve the prospects for competitiveness through productivity growth and at the same time improve the degree of inequality, whether it be across individuals, whether it be across regions within a country, and indeed across countries within the European uh, countries as a whole. So we need to think about competitiveness and productivity and inequality. These are outcomes. They're not policies. They are outcomes of policies. So if we want to have both better better outcomes on productivity and competitiveness and better outcomes when it comes to inequality, we need to dial back and look at what are the policies that are necessary to move forward with in an integrated way in order to achieve the outcomes that you want. Now, for different countries, the package of policies that might be related to competition, the package of policies that might be related to labor markets, the package of policies that might be related to the functioning of the financial institutions within the country, those packages are all very different for countries because their initial conditions are different, their institutional structure is different, the way their businesses work are different. But they do fall, the packages do fall into those categories to, for packages to be successful in achieving the outcomes of better productivity and better um, outcomes on inequality, as I say, across the dimensionality of individuals, regions, and countries. In order to be successful, you also have to put forward the complementary fiscal and monetary policies as well. The three sets work together in order to achieve these outcomes. And that kind of brings us to the euro. Um, the euro was supposed to be the crowning achievement of economic integration in Europe. And now after a very long and deep crisis, the eurozone seems to be recovering strongly. Economic sentiment is the highest level since I think 2001. So have, have we learned the right lesson? Is the eurozone out of the woods in a way, Barry? I think for a long time, pessimism about the euro and the eurozone was excessive. And now it may be that optimism is excessive. After all, that's how financial markets work. They swing from one extreme to the other. There has been progress, meaningful progress, on Euro area reform. The Euro European Central Bank has moved to symmetric inflation targeting and acting as a lender of last resort. The banking union is still a work in progress, but important progress has occurred. So I think steps have been taken to strengthen the monetary union. Is it out of the woods when negative shocks affect the world economy? Next, we'll find out. I think the fiscal house remains incomplete. What to do about fiscal policy remains in dispute. And the governance issues, who decides, are very much up in the air. 
In Berlin at the moment, there are different views on whether Germany will meet Emmanuel Macron and his plans on the Eurozone halfway at least. If you could send a wish list, so to speak, what would be at the top of that list when it comes to the Eurozone and, and, and Eurozone reform? So I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that the Eurozone is, is part of a, a larger operation, and that's you know the Euro area. And even beyond, we can go beyond that. So there are a set of rules that are associated with the Eurozone, and then there are a set of behaviors and rules associated with the broader uh, European Union. And these have to be complementary. We can't just sort of look at the Euro area and say, well, you guys get it right, and, and the rest of the European Union will go along for the ride. In order to get really the benefits for the Euro area, and benefits for the union, these issues about harmonization across a, a range of policies, that has to be done at the union level. And that will help support the tighter relationship that exists within the euro area. So I think that when we think about Macron and Berlin and who's going to play which role, we have to remember that Macron and, and Merkel will not just be operating with the understanding of the euro area. They also have to be leading for the union. I agree with that, but I would also remind German policymakers that there is a set of feasible bargains. Bargain number one is Germany will be more willing to agree to a common European deposit insurance scheme, which is an important element of banking union, if other countries read Italy clean up their banking systems. Bargain number two is that Germany will be more willing to agree on a limited pan-European unemployment insurance fund if other countries, read France, agree to structural reform that limits the danger of spikes in unemployment. Okay, so the euro was supposed to bring about convergence economic convergence. I think at the, in the first decade of the euro, we did seem to see at least economic convergence, but uh, during the crisis, some of that has been reversed. Is there a realistic prospect that with the euro in its current form, we will return to the path of convergence or will that take too long to be politically sustainable? You have to start in answering that question by providing a, a view, a theory of wide divergence surprisingly occurred in the first decade of this century. I think divergence occurred because of destabilizing cross-border capital flows, that it became too easy for southern European countries to indulge in a consumption boom and unnecessary in that context to do structural reforms. If you believe the banking union will prevent a recurrence of those destabilizing cross-border capital flows, then there's hope that there'll be more pressure and incentive for structural reform now? Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to agree on that point. And a couple of points. First, the, the hope that there will not be destabilizing capital flows in the future is unrealistic in an environment unless you want to restrict capital flows. Uh, macroprudential measures can do a little bit of work, but absent much more heavy-handed approaches to cross-border capital flows, they will be destabilizing simply because they move more quickly than policymakers can react and that businesses can react. So it's, they just operate on another scale. 
But the second issue, and I think that this is a, a particularly important one, is that if the countries that are party in the euro area, if they are depending on the euro as being the only thing that's going to get them to convergence, that is depending too much on a single currency to drive the policy changes which are challenging for them to do. And that's why I come back to the um, harmonization in the services area. This is domestic policy, but it is collective agreement on harmonization, and the currency can't force them to do that. Thank you very much. That's plenty of food for thought. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Welcome. If you enjoy listening to the CER podcast, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find us. And you can also let us know what you think on Twitter at CER underscore EU. Mm-hmm.